Well, good morning. Good morning, Refuge. Um, I wanted to start out um, <clears throat> just because it's, it's an amazing morning. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> you think about, you consider those things that are happening uh, on the other side of the world, in, uh, in the Ukraine. And there was one video that I saw in particular that really, um, <clears throat> really was encouraging. And that is in the midst of all of that, in, in underground, in this little shelter, um, I don't know if you saw this or not, um, maybe a lot of you saw this video of Ukrainians who were singing worship. Anyone see that? Yeah, a lot of you have. Okay. Isn't that encouraging? I, and you know, I didn't, I didn't hear like, I mean, I heard some voices. They were like strong. Right? And, and this was, yeah, as uh, the Russian troops are coming in, as, as all this is happening, uh, they are singing joyous worship and praise unto the Lord. Right? What are we doing in the midst of trials? <laughs> like, it should bring conviction upon us when, you know, we're going through trials and, and it's, uh, it's just all like inwardly centered, like it's, it's about us. It's always about the Lord, right? Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, I'm going to take just a moment to remind us of a few things, because I think it's important given the times that we're living in. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is to get us prepared, by the way. We should already, if you've been going through the Word, you should already be prepared for the days in which we're living in. But I want to make sure that refuge is prepared, because, you know, when, the, when these things come, don't be surprised, don't be shocked, don't be surprised, and absolutely don't be caught on your heels. You, if you're caught on your heels, then you'll be easily knocked over. You'll be deceived, duped, uh, taken by deception, and, and alarmed by what's happening. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jammers opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. So first of all, we have Paul's admonition and his warning to Timothy. He's a pastor. He was sent to Ephesus to go teach and care for the church there. And 
And so we have that, but we, we know looking forward from that day that these things would be true. Are we not living in these days? I mean, we could take this apart right now and we could apply it to the day and age in which we live in. But then Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. This, was the, this is known as the Olivet Discourse. And the Mount of Olives is across the, the Kidron, uh, which is the valley, looking toward the eastern slopes and the eastern portion of the temple. And it's in that place where it says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Number one, first first thing right off the bat, see that no one leads you astray. That's not up to me. It's not up to the person next to you. It's up to you. You. See that no one leads you astray. The only way that you will allow others to lead you astray is if you don't know what truth is. If you don't know the word. That's why I emphasize you got to get into the word. You got to know the word. That way when the counterfeit comes up, you just put it into the light. You're like, no, that's not genuine. See that no one leads you astray. Verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. In other words, people will come and say, I'm the Savior. In some way, shape, or form, there are people, there are many people today within the church and without the church who are saying, I'm the Savior. I'm the Savior. Follow me. I can save you. I can save you. I am the Messiah. It doesn't have to be A person who is saying, I literally am the Christ. They can simply be saying, I have the answer to life. I have the answers. And I can tell you what what it's all about. And this is what's happening today. There are many who are coming and saying, I'm the Christ. I'm the Savior. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. There's, there's, there's wars happening right now. You know, we pray for the people of Ukraine. We pray for those of the entire area there around. The Russians who are, they don't know what they're going into. And yet they're being sent to do this very thing. We pray for all people, but we do not know. Well, actually we do know at some point how it, it will all go. But this is just the beginning. You see, God has a purpose even in what's happening today across the globe. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed 
throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Brothers and sisters, we're living in exciting times. So allow the Lord to be the lifter of your heads. We are in battle, folks. We need to continue to advance. So don't get down. Don't get discouraged. Allow the Lord to fill you with his spirit. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. And continue to persevere. We need to lock arms that much more. Come together and fellowship in the word of God and amongst each other that we may be stirred up to love and good works. That is absolutely critical and vital in these last days. And so I just wanted to share with you a few things. There's other scriptures that, that uh, we could look to. John 16, 33, where Jesus warned his disciples, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Uh, in Luke 21, 28. So there's many verses that you can look to that the Lord is encouraging us to continue to persevere. We will experience tribulation, but take heart. Jesus has overcome, and we in Christ are overcomers. Amen? All right, with that, let's get into the Word of God. We are in Mark chapter 5, and we're covering the final portion, so the second half of this chapter. Mark chapter 5. Bless you. The title of this morning's message is Do Not Fear, Only Believe. Do Not Fear, Only Believe. So Mark chapter 5, and going to verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Heavenly Father, as we consider these two events, Lord, they're intertwined and we will learn more about them and the details of them. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. 
Or as we think about Jairus, Lord, he had great concern. He was worried about his daughter. And yet he came to Jesus knowing that he could heal her and petitioned him. Lord, he humbled himself before you. As we consider the woman, Lord, her faith, we could say as we read that, Lord, it was, it was imperfect. And yet, Lord, you honored that. You honored the little faith that she had. I pray, Lord, that we would not, not be fearful or prideful or doubtful, Lord, but we would have complete faith in you knowing that you can do all things, that all good gifts come from you. Lord, you are gracious. You are wonderful. You are worthy to be praised. And this morning I pray, Father, that as we learn and we study, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, increasing our faith. And Lord, that as we continue to see your amazing work, Father, that we would grow deeper and deeper in love with you and trust you in all the details of our lives, that you may be glorified and be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians uh, 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Therefore, if we just go with those two verses, we know that it pleases God when you exercise your faith. When each and every one of us exercise our faith individually, believing in Jesus Christ first and foremost for salvation, because he wishes that, of course, no one should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's Preeminent. That, that's the one thing that we should hold in, in highest regard. The one thing that we give ourselves to. That is to proclaim the gospel, to do the work of an evangelist, to lead people to Christ. But whether it be salvation, physical healing, or help in time of trouble, we should as Christians understand that all good things come from God, according to James 1.17. And that he is working things out in a way that oftentimes are beyond our understanding. According to he, uh, Isaiah 55, 8, 9 and Romans 8, 28, as I had mentioned earlier. Thank, thank God for that. It's beyond our comprehension sometimes, or many times, or oftentimes. Most of the times, it's beyond our comprehension. That's Okay. And yet he calls us to simply exercise our faith in him. I begin by saying this because ultimately Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Salvation is what is most important. And as we read and learn about how Jesus healed this woman and raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, we may be drawn into thinking that Jesus is all about doing things for us in the moment. Right? Sometimes we are inclined to that. We, we see how it is that Jairus' daughter was, was raised from the dead. How it is that this woman who had this, this uh, physical ailment 
was healed after 12 years of going to the doctors and all that. And we can get wrapped up into thinking that's what it's all about. It's all about if we have enough faith that we ourselves are going to receive what we ask for. And that is how God would, will glorify himself. Well, sometimes he glorifies himself in allowing you to continue on that path of illness. Or allowing, allowing someone close to you to die. So let us not lose focus of who this is all about. Because we can be inclined to go to that extreme. And to, instead of fixing our eyes on the Lord, we begin to look inward. Listen, the day and age in which we live in, with social media, we, you know, we, we are the, the generation of selfies and uh, promoting ourselves like never before. We don't need to love ourselves anymore. Right? We should turn our attention to the Lord. We should humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. Jesus is the one whom we should fix our eyes upon. The purpose of these miracles, all of these events that are recorded here, is to draw our belief unto the Lord. Is, is to believe, to see and believe, to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what he desires above all, that you may have life in his name, and that more abundantly. It does a person no good to be healed in body and not spirit, to be provided for financially on earth and yet be bankrupt spiritually, eternally, in heaven. This morning we'll learn about a wealthy ruler whose 12-year-old daughter is sick and calls on Jesus to heal her and also about a poor woman who has spent all of her money, who's been ill for 12 years and touches the, the hem of Jesus' garment for healing. As we've already read, we see how one story intertwines with the other. As Jesus is confronted with two situations, one is delayed and the other is addressed immediately. Perhaps that brings to mind how it is that sometimes we're praying, we're seeking for deliverance at this very moment. But the Lord's timing is not our timing. Sometimes it's delayed. That's where our faith is tested. Do we still have faith? Do we still trust that God is doing a work even in the midst of a delay? But other times, oh, we seek the Lord and he does things immediately, almost as if he knew, right? He does know. He knows all things. He sees all things. He understands all things better than we do. Listen, Jesus is never limited by time or space. The situation is never too difficult, never too easy. And he's not limited, limited by the gravity of the situation, by the seriousness of it. To one person, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
And to the other, Jesus said, Do not fear, only believe. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you're anxious or worried or filled with fear, know that God is with you and desires that you have faith in him. And by that you will know his peace. Do not fear, only believe. First of all, we see a humble request here. In the first few verses that we read, verses 21 through 24, is Jairus says he comes to Jesus after he has come back across the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd is gathered about him, and he was beside the sea, so he had barely come on to the seashore. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, earnestly saying, My little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So Jesus and his disciples, remember that they were in the land of the Gadarenes just previous to that. Now they make their way back across the Sea of Galilee. And so they're on the other side. And as soon as they land, uh, they are approached by a, a, a throng. Just a, a, an incredible amount of people came and crowded around him immediately. They gathered around Jesus right there on the seashore. He didn't go very far. They were there to greet him, desiring to see what he did, what he would do next. To hear what perhaps he would teach next. I thought about this, and, and, and remember, he was on the other side, and you know what he was dealing with. Number one, on the, on the way across the Sea of Galilee, he was confronted with a storm. In fact, the disciples, you could say, were confronted with a storm. And he dealt with that, and with his disciples, he got across. He was met with this man that was possessed with a legion of demons. They dealt with that. Now they're back across the way, and all these people were there eager to hear him and see him. You know, it would do us good if we were that eager to hear from God. Eagerly anticipating what he would teach us next. What do you have? Is that how you approach? You know, if you get up first thing in the morning and you open up God's word, hopefully it's not just something to check off. You know, I read for five minutes And so let me set my timer. Uh, Okay. Okay. You go through and you just read it. You don't meditate on the word or anything. Hey, listen, that's good that you're reading the word. But what if you approach it differently? Like these people, as... As they were waiting for Jesus to get on to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they couldn't wait to see him. They couldn't wait to hear from him. I can't help but, but acknowledge that. This, was, this is wonderful. This is how we should approach spending time with the Lord. But it requires humility. And it requires a personal brokenness before him. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart. Do you have that toward God? Well, that was the crowd. They were... They couldn't wait to see him and hear from him. But a man by the name of Jairus, uh, he was a ruler of the synagogue. He had this sick daughter. And he was there waiting at the seashore when Jesus and his disciples landed. He was there with the throng of people that had gathered around Jesus. And many were there, but only one came to Jesus and asked him for something. Because this man, Jairus, believed that Jesus could heal his ill daughter. Um, a ruler of the synagogue is someone who would take care of not only the, the spiritual, but the administrative uh, responsibilities of the synagogue. So you could uh, equivalent that to like an administrative pastor or a pastor who's, who is, uh, has those responsibilities. So you can imagine this man, this ruler of the synagogue, comes. First of all, he came to Jesus, number one, stating the obvious, right? But first of all, he came to Jesus. This man exercised his free will to do that. Expressed his belief in Jesus and went to him to lay a request before him. He personally laid before him, as we'll see. Secondly, he humbled himself. This man was... Again, a wealthy man, a ruler of the synagogue. In other words, he was also, he also had position. And so it would be beneath him to do something like this. And yet this man humbled himself. He willingly submitted to Jesus as being greater and positioned himself in such a way that he expressed outwardly how he was positioned inwardly in his heart. In his heart. Thirdly, he begged Jesus. Is it too much for you to to beg Jesus, to plead with him? This is what this man did. This man was desperate for Jesus to do something. And he pleaded with him with sincere and intense conviction. With belief. This This is his approach. This man did not come to Jesus with his own opinions or past experiences or or feelings, but he simply came to Jesus, just yielding completely to him. Listen, you can talk about going to Jesus. You can discuss it. You can study it. You can go over the approach and how different people did it. But really, it comes down to actually doing it. Actually coming to Jesus, humbling yourself before Jesus, laying yourself before Jesus in complete humility. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How? As we read earlier, with a broken and contrite heart. Broken means without hope, outside of God. Do you, have, do you have hope outside of God? If there's a hope outside of God for those things that you need, then you're not broken before the Lord. 
Being broken before God is abandoning all hope outside of him, even despairing in anything or, or anyone outside of God. If God does not do this, then it will not be done. That's being broken. I am in desperation. If you don't do something, Lord, then nothing will be done. The opposite is to be unrepentant. The opposite is to completely dismiss him. Because contrite, broken and contrite heart. Contrite means a deep sense of conviction and remorse. Repentant, sorry, even sheepish. Like, um, I guess a dog is a good example. You guys have dogs? If you have cats, I'll pray for you. But, but dogs, they, um, uh, they, they know when they're in trouble, don't they? It, like, you start scolding them and they, they start coming in. Yeah, you know, I know what I did. I got into the trash. Or they did something they shouldn't have done. Being sheepish. Coming in humbly. You know, for you, for, for a dog, you are his master. Yeah, for me, that's not too beneath. That's like, oh, what kind of illustration is that? That's a very accurate illustration. Why? Because we should even more so be coming to the Lord in a, in a sheepish way. I, I have nothing. You are master. You are Lord. You're God. Contrite. Again, the opposite to this is to be unrepentant. Even defiant and prideful to come with your opinions with your experiences with your view your perspective listen God's perspective is perfect perfect perspective is this what God requires that a person beg and plead and grovel before him because the world will look at this and, and think that kind of God is this? This is this what he wants from us, huh? To grovel. Maybe you should grovel a little bit more. Again, the, the world is very prideful, filled with themselves. Yeah, you know what? Come to him that way. Absolutely. Again, who is he? Who are we approaching? Is it not God, the creator of the universe? We should come to him that way. In a broken, contrite Way Our hearts are to be completely submitted and yielded to him. Yes. We beg of you, Lord. We plead with you. Have mercy. We are a sinful people. In fact, as you consider, as we consider who we're approaching, let's go to Job chapter 40. And consider how it is that the Lord even addressed Job. You know, Job lost everything. In a, in a very real way, he, he lost everything. In Job chapter 40, and verse 1 is where we're going.
And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. I mean, just right off the, the top. Already, this is, this is not, it would seem to the world, this is, this is not very compassionate. This is, this is harsh, right? I mean, talk about a man's already down. He's gone through all of that. He's got some, some friends that are not that great, right? Are trying to find fault in him. Listen, when we, when we search the scriptures, we need to, we need to understand God's character from, from Genesis to Revelation. When God approaches sin, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't coddle, and, and he doesn't, you know, like the world defines, you know, like gently come alongside in a lovingly way, you know, hey, can you please just stop doing that? No, he says, no, that's sin, Right? Doesn't he? You tell me different. Does he not? Absolutely he does, right? This is how he speaks to Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. Good job, Job. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. At this moment, Job... He knew it's time to just close up, not speak anymore. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Uh, Some translations gird up your loin like a man. Get dressed for action. That's exactly what he's saying. Hey, hey, bud. Man up. Woman up. We're going to run. We're, we're going to run. So make sure you, you're ready for this. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. It's the Lord putting us in our place. It's Job doing that, or God doing that with Job. And and so God does that with us. If we but humble ourselves before him. Oh, we, we we need this more often. We need to hear this more and more. A man or a woman of God is to, again, man up or woman up and acknowledge God for who he is. And we are to humble ourselves before him as we approach him, clothing ourselves with biblical understanding in sound doctrine, submitting to his authority above all. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. We don't have mercy. We don't have grace. We go to him for those things in those times of need. And we humble ourselves. This was a humble request that Jairus had laid before Jesus himself. And this was a man of prominence, a man of position, a man of wealth. And he humbled himself. Then we have a humble faith. As we see in verses 25 through 34, as this great crowd followed him and thronged about him, verse 25, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. A humble faith. This woman was in a desperate condition. She uh, she had been burdened for 12 years with this discharge of blood. Um, For her, she was a social outcast. Ceremonially, Ceremonially, she was unclean. Socially, she was an outcast. No one, she was shunned. No one would come around her because if they touched her, if she touched them, then they would be ceremoniously unclean. And they would go, have to go through a process in order to be clean again and go and worship. So she could not participate in worship and everyone avoided her at all costs. Twelve years of this. To make things worse, everything that she had, her bank account, was drained Going from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor, and none of them could help her out. I like what David Guzik said about what people do when the soul is sick, because I believe it's accurate. Think about this in in today, the day that we're living in. David Guzik said this, quote, When a soul is sick today, they often go to different doctors and spend a great deal of time and money, only to suffer many things from many physicians. A sick soul may go to, quote-unquote, doctor entertainment, but find no cure. They may pay a visit to doctor success, but he is of no help in the long run. Doctor pleasure, doctor self-help, doctor religion can't bring a real cure. Only doctor Jesus can, close quote. Only him. A broken and contrite heart before the Lord in desperation our only hope is Jesus Christ is your soul sick where do you go where should you go well not only did this woman not get better as she went from from physician to physician but actually as we read here not only did, did she not get better but she got worse she got worse and she was desperate. And so you can imagine, as, as the, the crowd was following Jesus, she secretly, had, she had to do this secretly, she secretly joined in the crowd and got close enough to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. 
Because she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This was what she believed. But wait a minute. Think, isn't this, isn't this superstition? Isn't it super, like, wouldn't you say it's superstitious? I think most people would say this, this would be superstitious. She's believing in the wrong way. How can Jesus heal her? Listen, whatever you deem right or wrong, it is God who blessed this woman because he was the object of her faith, even though the manner of her faith was off. There was a time when people were healed by shadow. You know who's shadow? Peter's. Uh, but Paul's handkerchief. Yeah. Incredible, right? Nothing like the televangelist, though, today. You know, send me your money and I'll, I'll, I'll send you a handkerchief that's blessed. And, you know, who knows? They may have blown their nose in that thing and sent it off. That's all for money, right? This was not to make money, but to show the power of God. This woman, even in her imperfect faith, she still had faith in Jesus. Immediately she felt well. I mean, she knew herself. She knew how she was feeling. In that very moment, she touched the hem of his garment. She was completely well. Um, it was a pastor who said something like this. Um, when you're holding on by a thread, make sure you touch the, it, it leads to the hem of Jesus' garment. He healed her. That very moment, she, she stopped. She was overwhelmed. How? By touching Jesus' garment. Maybe that's what she was thinking in the moment. I I believed it and I did it. And behold, this is what happened. I'm healed. I'm completely. She was thinking it, but then Jesus confirmed it. But before he does, Jesus stops and he asks, Who touched my garments? Well, His disciples, interesting, right? Those closest to him. His disciples said, who who touched my garments? You know, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? That's like, come on, Jesus. I mean, everyone's pressing in on you. There's a lot of people who are touching you. They, They didn't understand. But there was a reason for his question, and he ignored them. He didn't address them. He doesn't say that he, he acknowledged them or, or uh, answered their, their question. He simply ignored them and he was asking for a reason. He was asking so that the woman would confess her faith and answer why she did what she did. Jesus listened and told her, told her that it was her faith that made her well. Your faith has made you well. That is what made you clean. It wasn't the touching of the garment. He didn't say that. Therefore, can you imagine if that was it? Man, everyone would be touching his garment. You know, no, it was, it was her faith that made her well. 
For 12 years, if she touched someone, she made them unclean. She touched the only one that could make her clean. She could never make him unclean. He completely cleansed her and made her clean. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Refer to, his, to her as daughter. The only time that we see this. Just a, a, a gentle, father-like address. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Well, Jairus humbled himself before Jesus, and here we see this woman who humbled herself before Jesus. A humble request, a humble faith, and an amazing resurrection. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Well, for Jairus, there's obviously a delay in getting to this. Getting to her. Uh, you can just imagine Jairus, he was there, the woman touched the hem of his garment. You know, for a father, a mother who's waiting for Jesus to do something and is delayed, it's like, okay, let's get this taken care of. Let's continue on to my concern, right? Jesus heard what had been said. And turned to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. Listen, I cannot imagine the emotions of the things that Jairus was experiencing in that moment. For he had news brought to him telling him that, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. There's, there's no further need for him. And yet Jesus turned around and spoke these words to him. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And he told everyone to stay back at that very moment. Everyone else stay back. The only ones that were coming were those who were with Jairus and Peter, James, and John. That was it. We do not know why it is that he left the other disciples back. It was simply God's sovereign choice. It was Jesus who chose to just bring Peter, James, and John. Uh, we can look into it and think long and hard about it, and yet we just don't know. What we do know is that he chose Peter, James, and John to come with them, Jairus, and the others that were with Jairus. Well, they came to the ruler's home, and the professional mourners were there. You see, in those days, they would 
They would hire professional mourners to, to weep and wail and, and, and just grieve there along with the family. And they were doing that. And Jesus asked them why they were making such a, such a ruckus. You know, you're such a commotion. Why are you weeping and wailing? You know, you could imagine from, from their viewpoint, it's like, what do you mean why? Isn't it obvious? Because he said, and then he said, the child is not dead but sleeping. Well, it would be the equivalent of someone coming into a hospital and asking why the family's crying and grieving upon the declaration of the death of a person. Right? You'd think, well, what is wrong with this guy? He's coming in and, I mean, the, the doctor de- declared this person had died. And so we, we know they're not sleeping. So from their perspective... He, he didn't know what he was talking about. In fact, it says that they laughed at Jesus. Uh, what, in, in the original, it means that they ridiculed him continuously. They, they just didn't, they didn't stop. They didn't just laugh, you know, like, uh, you know. It's just ongoing. Like they were laughing at him, ridiculing him, ridiculing him. And so what he did, he ignored them too, put them out. Mom, dad, come on in. Peter, James, John, come on in. And he turned to the child and simply said, Talitha Kumai. And she got up and she walked and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Of course, wouldn't you? Of course we would be amazed. We'd be filled with wonder. How can Jesus do this? How can he do this when no one else could? How can he do this? Well, this is one of those moments to where it should help us understand that he is the son of God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And because he is God, he gives life to whom he chooses. And he breathed into this child. He simply spoke, arise. And she arose. A humble request a humble faith, an amazing resurrection. Listen, the faith of the woman that was ill for 12 years was not perfect. The faith of Jairus was not perfect either. For he said, come and lay hands on my daughter. Did it compare to the centurion who had asked Jesus to heal his servant and said, oh, no, no, you don't have to come. I'm not worthy of you coming to my household. No, not my servant. Just speak the word. You have the authority. I know you do. Speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, oh, in all Israel, I have not come across this kind of faith in all of Israel. No, Jairus' faith, nor did this woman's faith come close to that faith. What about the Philippian jailer? When Paul and Silas were in jail, and the place shook, and the, and the doors all opened, the shackles dropped, 
And yet when he realized that it was God who had done this, it was at that moment that he had evidence that God was real. And then he said, what must I do to be saved? That doesn't match the other man's faith. And yet it was faith indeed. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Doubting Thomas, he doubted until he saw the resurrected Christ with the wound in his side, with the holes in his wrists and in his feet. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You and I are in that place to where we, don't, we, we shouldn't have to see much in order for us to believe. I know sometimes we do. We, we continually ask for signs. There's something. Show me. Right? And yet if you just pay attention, he's shown you plenty. God demonstrated his love toward you and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. That's enough. Then we live by faith, not by sight. We believe, we draw closer. Listen, in both of these instances, Jesus was proving that he is God. He is the son of God. He doesn't always choose to heal us physically, but what he desires above all is to deliver us from spiritual death, eternal condemnation. That is first and foremost. A person cannot believe and have fear at the same time. A person doesn't determine the situation, but can choose to believe regardless of the situation. Jesus healed the woman immediately and yet responded to Jairus' request with delay. Jesus healed the woman publicly. And think about it. Jairus' daughter was healed and resurrected secretly. Jairus was a wealthy man, and yet the woman was poor. You see, God is faithful. And our place in life doesn't determine his faithfulness. Both were desperate and both believed. So come to Jesus of your own free will. Express your faith in Jesus and lay your requests before him. Humble yourself willingly, submitting yourself to Jesus. Plead with Jesus. Be desperate for Jesus. Express a sincere and intense conviction with faith because Jesus will never fail you. If you are here and you don't know a relationship with Jesus Christ, may today be the day of salvation, whether you're watching online or whether you're here personally and in person. I would plead with you. Give your life to the Lord and you will know it. You will know at that very moment that you've been, you've been healed. You've been forgiven of all of your sins. Things won't be made perfect, but you will one day know the perfect. You will be in his glory because God promises to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, to him he has promised God's grace and his glory, heaven for all eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love and grace, your compassion. Lord, you are so patient with us. I pray, Father, that this morning, Lord, that we would in some way, shape, or form respond to your word. Lord, that you would have your way with us. If we have a petition, Lord, let us lay it before you. 
If it's our very lives, Lord, that we have never come and surrendered our lives to you, then perhaps this is, this is the moment that you're calling us. Pray, Lord, that we would respond accordingly. In line with your desire for you, desire that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you have, the way you do, and the way you always will. We pray this in Jesus' name.